having someone else with a completely new personality in the house and uh, I, I just I had trouble I couldn't deal with that um, very well um, so kind of that, that's when it started getting really bad and that was that manifested itself you know I'd, I'd just come home from work and sit on the couch and watch TV and and go to bed and just kind of escapism basically um, bad moods quick to anger um, yeah no energy Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast with me, Andreas Blindori. And this week, my guest is Phil Bream. Phil lives in Holland and last December ran 550 kilometers to raise awareness and funds for mental health. In this conversation, Phil tells me about his own mental health journey. The music in this podcast has been shortened for rights reason. The program also goes out every Monday on Near FM 90.3 and on Flirt FM. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way independent podcasts like this have a chance to survive. For more information and more episodes, please visit andreasplendori.com. The title tune is Alice by Lucky Bones. Can I call you up, oh Alice, on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. That's brilliant. So, first of all, I know very little about you, which uh, I, I always like that because we just, uh, it's, a, it's a journey of discovery. And um, you're in Holland at the moment, am I correct? I'm in Holland, yeah, I'm in Delft, uh, just between Rotterdam and The Hague. Okay, but, yeah, but you don't sound Dutch. No, I'm, I'm British. <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, I mean, I guess you you know uh, Barry, my friend Barry, his uh, background, you know, grew up in Brussels. Um, same thing. So I, I was born in the UK, moved over to Brussels when I was uh, I was five. Uh, my dad was working at the European Commission, and uh, yeah, so I grew up down there, and then went back to the UK to study. And I kind of got, I just wanted to to, to get back out of that uh, insular uh, <laughs> environment, uh, somewhere more international, and uh, somewhere that felt a bit. Um, more like home a bit like what I was used to so uh, yeah I ended up finding a job out here in 2008 I moved out then yeah tell me about that bit of going back to 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 England that's an interesting one what what was the difference like growing up in Brussels and going back to England you say it was a bit insular describe it to me yeah so it's a a mix of lots of different things I mean um, Obviously, Brussels is, uh, at least in, in the environment that we grew up in, the European Commission, uh, mums and dads in the international school, there was a big mishmash of people from all over Europe, right? So you've got uh, all kinds of personalities and um, languages. And yeah, I mean, obviously, the cultures aren't wildly different in, within the EU, but still, there's, there's enough variety in there to make it interesting. And uh, everyone's got their own little thing to bring right mm. and then I went to the UK I mean I know like for example London's quite metropolitan quite international as well but I went to Nottingham and the international element is, is, is like a minority so it's kind of really just British people who've grown up in the UK a lot of them are from small villages they've, they've never been outside the you know a 10 mile radius <laughs> and um, yeah so the, 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 I don't know it was a lot less open um, a lot less interesting and also I mean sounds uh, sounds very minor of course but uh, yeah I mean we've done the whole uh, trying out beers and starting to drink you know it's, it was legal in, uh, in Belgium from 16 when I was younger and of course then you start a little bit earlier and then you go, you go to university with all these kids who've, who've never been down the pub before and I don't know, it just kind of felt a little bit uh, like going back in time and it didn't feel very comfortable, very, I mean, it was fun, of course, but um, I don't know, it kind of felt like I'd already done all that and it wasn't that, it wasn't that important anymore. Hmm. Whereas that was the, the kind of thing on everyone's minds at the time. Freedom, pub, no mum and dad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Interesting, interesting. And then you choose, so 2008 you decided, so what did, what did you do in college, just out of curiosity? What did you uh, I studied electronic engineering. Um, I did a PhD in semiconductor physics. Wow. Then I worked for, uh, what, six, eight months as a butcher in, uh, in Knightsbridge in London with uh, a couple of Irish brothers who had, a, who had a butcher shop in Brussels. So I knew them from Brussels. They'd open one in London. And then I did a postdoc in uh, biomedical engineering, kind of the, the frontier between engineering and neuroscience at Imperial College. And uh, 
then I kind of got fed up of the, uh, the academic uh, kind of, you get a two year contract and you've got to then, you know, you get six months into it and you just about know what you're, you're doing. You've got to start looking for the money for the next contract. Um, I don't know, it was a bit frustrating. Very, very quickly frustrating. So, yeah. But again, not so quick. You worked as a butcher for six months. Um, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> How do you work as a butcher if you're just come out of it with a PhD? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was looking. I was yeah. I was I was looking for a job related to to my PhD. Um, and I just moved down to London with my uh, with my girlfriend at the time. She lived down there, so uh, so I moved down down to London from Nottingham. And uh, yeah, these guys were setting up a new shop, and I knew them. I'd worked, uh, I helped out with the Christmas Christmas butchers rush in Brussels at this uh, Jack O'Shea's Irish Butchers, uh, <laughs> a couple of Christmases uh, when I was younger, and uh, yeah. So I just went along and said, "Hey, do you need anyone?" And they said, "Yeah, great, no problem." So that was the beginning of that. <laughs> that was great fun. I mean, that was, you know, that was long days and, and physical, you know, hauling sides of beef up and down stairs and uh, um, working in the shop, talking to people. You know, you've got, uh, it was Knightsbridge, right, just down there from Harrods. So you've got celebrities coming in. You've also got, you know, old guys who've been living there since they were kids before it was a posh area and massive mishmash of uh, the whole kind of, I don't know, whole cross-section of society. It was really good fun. <laughs> Brilliant. So I get a sense from what you're just saying to me that obviously, you know, people and uh, interaction with people is, is a big thing for you, both from, you know, when you were younger, wanting to get back to some sort of international open-minded culture to the way, even the way you just described that, uh, that butcher, uh, all the different people coming in. And, uh, and I, one of the things I always love to talk about in this podcast is, is how people follow their passion. And uh, so all the studies you've done, and I only understood the two, the first two words of what you did is way beyond my comprehension in terms of, uh, <laughs> did you follow that? Which was, was it a passion that brought you into that particular college or that study? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> no. Um, it's, yeah, it's funny you should say that because it's only recently that I've, that I've been kind of investigating what, uh, what a passion might be and, uh, and that actually consciously taking interest in the, in the human interactions. Um, no, man. I mean, you're, what are you, 16 when you choose your university degree? Um, I was good at maths. I was good at physics. It was interesting enough. I picked something. Uh, it got to the end of my undergraduate degree and, you know, I was, what, I was 22 and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And I got invited to stay and do a PhD. So I thought, well, that sounds better than, than a nine to five job. So I'll do that. And no, I kind of fell into it all. Um yeah, and, and the job, I mean, I, I worked at the, the European Patent Office here in the Netherlands and uh, needed a technical background and language skills. So I was like, that's great. That ticks all the boxes in terms of what I can do. And is it going to be interesting? Well, it'll probably be interesting, but is it a passion? I don't think it really is. But uh, I didn't think about that at the time. It was just kind of falling into things one after the other. And uh, yeah, I think that's something that happens to most of us, actually, um, especially making choices so young. I mean, what do you know when you're 16 about yourself, about the world? It's not not that much i, I think but uh, that's interesting yeah. um okay so let's let's break it up for your first song the sultan's the swing tell me about that yeah. Song. um yeah die straight was the, was the first band i saw live um and it was kind of a connection i, I, I was quite into my uh, you know heavier guitar grunge music uh, back in the 90s and of course my dad wasn't a big fan of that uh, hearing that busting out of my room so you got the sultans of swing going and that's kind of a connection i mean it's, it's got some some you know it's got a, a good riff good guitar riff it's uh it's old school but it's got a bit of rock to it um and he was a, he was a die straight fan as well so that was kind of a nice connection um, from his stuff to my stuff we could both enjoy it Shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park But meantime Sound of the river, you're stopping, you hold everything A band is blowing Dixie, double fall time You feel alright when you hear the music ring 
So tell me then, uh, going to, to Holland, um, that transition back to Holland, and, and tell me a little bit more about um, growing up as such, you know, finally leaving the butcher, leaving the, all the, you know, getting a proper job. And uh, where, yeah. where, where did that bring you? <laughs> where did that bring? Well, I mean, I, yeah. So I, I worked at the European Patent Office. Uh, I worked there for 10 years. Um, it was, you know, it was interesting learning a lot of new stuff. Uh, I had to, so you arrive at a technical knowledge. You've got to learn the legal stuff on the job. It's, it's very legal heavy. There's a whole massive thick book of rules and articles that you know, all, uh, all the patent applications have to adhere to. Um, so it was, it was learning, a lot of learning and, 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 as a patent examiner, you're divided up into technical areas. So you get to learn a lot about the specific technical areas. So I, I began in electronic watches, uh, not out of choice, but that's because where I was put, uh, I had a, a background in electronic engineering, um, which was fine. I mean, I, I, I like running and I like GPS watches uh, in terms of, you know, the, the whole geeky tracking your, your progress. Uh, I quite like that. So that was good fun, but they ran out of work. And um, so, um, I got transferred, so I was given the choice, and I ended up in, um, I guess the best way to describe it is stuff that vibrates. So um, not what you're thinking, but uh, uh, like seismic, uh, seismic oil ex exploration, ultrasound transducers, and musical instruments, all mashed into one, but, you know, anything involving vibrations, basically. So, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, so that, that was cool. So you have to learn a whole new, uh, whole new field again. So that, that's, yeah, you have the whole learning process again, which is something which is quite important to me, learning something new. Uh, um, keep challenging yourself a little bit. Um, but then at the end of the day, once you, know your, once you know your fields quite well, it becomes a sort of robotic procedure. You know, you get an application, you go through the same process and you kind of spit out a report at the end and it becomes a, a bit monotonous. So, um, yeah, so I think yeah, in 2017, I kind of started thinking, uh, do I really want to still be here? Well, 10 years in the future, but even like next year. Um, so actually I left in, uh, in July 2018 with absolutely no plan about what I wanted to do. Uh, no, no ideas, nothing, but uh, yeah, <laughs> blank slate. And what are you doing now then? Uh, still nothing. Okay. Um, I took, uh, yeah, obviously taking some time off. I've um, uh, had a lot of uh, self-analysis uh, in the meantime, also before I left. I mean, I've uh, gone through a period of depression myself and so treatment for that, therapists mm -hmm. and antidepressants and, and all kinds of stuff. So it was kind of a well-needed break to, to try and recover, find some energy, um, you know, one day goes better than better than the next, maybe. But uh, um, yeah, I just needed a break. And I've got two small kids at home, and whilst I'm not necessarily cut out to be a full time father, it's kind of nice to see them every now and then while they're small, <laughs> since yeah, they yeah. grow so quickly. You know, I think you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they grow, they grow fast. So um, yeah, but um, we've had just uh, end of December. We just bought a campsite on the other side of the country because uh, yeah we decided we just want to get out of the out of the city out of the rat race out of the uh, kind of slower pace of life more nature um kind of more outdoors more interaction with people uh, you already mentioned that so um yeah so we're, we're taking over a campsite in the, just along the, the mass river um the east of the netherlands from the first of september oh wow Good luck with that. And so that you're going to run it and uh, just that's going to be your livelihood and with your wife. That's, and kids. that's right. Yeah. I mean, my wife's got her own business. She's uh, she does uh, uh, training, coaching, uh, you know, career development, uh, personal development. Um, she's going to continue doing that. Um, but yeah, the whole training world, you probably know, is uh, it kind of takes the summer off as well. So in the peak season, she'll be around to help out with the campsite, Brilliant. which is great. <laughs> that sounds great. And, um, I know you mentioned depression. It was something I wanted to talk to you about because uh, you mentioned it, and we'll get to the run in a minute, um, the yeah. epic run you did this summer, um, last summer, I should say, or last September. But um, how, how does it, you know, you say you, you had a bout of depression. Well, is that like quite recent? Did it, or how, is it, how did it manifest and how does it manifest? Or just tell me a bit yeah. about it. 
Um, well, I think in the end, it's probably something that I've, I've had on and off since I was a lot younger, but I never acknowledged it as such or never really paid attention to it. Uh, kind of sink your head into books or films or video games or work or, or whatever. Um, but it really started to, yeah, it, it became a, too much to deal with. Kind of when my, when my eldest son, when he, when he, I don't know, he was about a year, a year old, year and a half old, kind of started developing his own personality. And of course, then you suddenly, it kind of, it sounds, sounds horrible, but you, 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 you suddenly have less freedom than, you, than you're used to when you, when you have children. I mean, that's, that's, that's a choice that you know about anyway, when, when you're, when you have the choice, when you make the choice to have kids, you, you know, that's going to happen. But um, it had a, it had a, quite a big effect on me. Um, having someone else with a completely new personality in the house. And uh, I, I just, I had trouble. I couldn't deal with that um, very well. Um, so kind of that, that's when it started getting really bad. And that was, that manifested itself. You know, I'd, I'd just come home from work and sit on the couch and watch TV and, and go to bed and just kind of escapism, basically. Um, bad moods, quick to anger. Um, yeah, no energy. Uh, yeah uh yeah in a, in a nutshell um and then i don't know i think my my, my wife kind of put up with it <laughs> more or less uh, kind of hoping always hoping that uh, it would get better uh, for a while and then i think um when my my when my youngest kid was about uh how old was, was he just just after he turned one i think uh, she really uh she really had enough and literally and literally held me by the the shirt collar up against the wall and said, look, you've got to do something about this. Um, and uh, yeah, so then I started looking for help, found a therapist. Um, uh, but of course I had no idea what I was looking for. I didn't know what I needed and you need, what I've come to realize, you need different things at different stages, you know? Uh, so it's not always... It's not always clear uh, what to look for. I started off with a therapist. She was very good. Um, she did cognitive behavioral uh, therapy, which which worked for a while. But then I kind of very quickly got the feeling I was basically just finding tools with which I could fool myself into into thinking differently or or, or trying to feel differently. So that 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 didn't work uh, for, for so long. Then I found someone else who did uh, more kind of more. Uh, body or feeling related stuff so uh, body scans and uh, meditations uh, emdr uh, so the lights uh, going left or right while focusing on, on good or bad things um, and tai chi as well so that worked really well and um, you know i got to a stage when i thought okay i'm uh, I, i'm okay now for a while on my own so um Stopped seeing her. I kind of felt like I'd got to the end of where we could get anyway. Um, and then it started going downhill again. And I ended up on antidepressants for a year, um, which was okay. I mean, they helped. Um, but at the end, I just wanted to, I wanted to stop taking them. I kind of, every, everything was kind of clipped. All the peaks were clipped, all the troughs were clipped. And you kind of, you know, you're in, a, you're in a decent place, but you're kind of not really yourself and you don't feel as fully as maybe uh, as maybe you're used to or you think you should. So it came off those. Uh, what they don't tell you about coming off antidepressants is that withdrawal symptoms are, are horrible. So that was, uh, that was uh, not, not much fun you know, cutting down bit by bit, bit by bit. And then every time I cut, uh, reduce the dose by a small amount, I'd have this whole bout of withdrawal symptoms again. And yeah, I got so fed up uh, at one point. I said, no, I'm just going to stop completely now because if I'm going to feel bad anyway, I may as well just come off them and then have done with it. So, so I did that. And then, and then I was fine. You know, I, I was okay for a while. Um, that, I think that was in the April, May the time when I came off them until the end of the summer, I was, uh, I was doing okay. And then of course days get shorter and, the weather gets crap again and uh, all the associated feelings start creeping in the darker feelings that match the darker uh, seasons. So uh, yeah, then I, I ended up looking for someone else again. And again, that, that was a guy who was doing a uh, breath work. So that was um, really um, get out of your head completely all in the body, um, which, you know, I spent my whole, I spent, I don't know, 35 years of my life only in my head. Um, 
And yeah, when, when you kind of try, when you let go of that a little bit and you actually pay attention to what's going on in the rest of you, you kind of realize, ah, actually, it's, uh, it's pretty more important rather than trying to make a story or, 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 I don't know, explain things or make excuses. You actually just feel what's going on. And it's, it just, it works for me anyway, a lot, a lot better. Brilliant. So. Listen, I really appreciate it. Uh, you give me this uh, um, account of it because I, I think it's really important to hear uh, first-hand account of you know we're all different we're all different experiences but uh, yeah. I, I I know this would be a help to anybody listening that you know it might feel they're the only person having those those experiences but look it, it sounds like you're you're definitely on a path to you're discovering a lot more about yourself and that seemed to be yeah. taking you in in the in the, in the right place um, so let me just um, call uh, Foo Fighter Everlong why, yeah. why that song. Um, yeah, I mean, it's simply, it's one of my favorite songs, but, um, yeah, I was, I already said, I, I studied at, uh, uh, in, in the UK, back in the UK, and my parents were still living in Brussels. So every Easter, every summer, every Christmas, I was driving back and forth, uh, between the UK and, uh, and, uh, Brussels. And that was just one of those songs that keeps you, keeps you awake on the roads, um, <laughs> usually makes you drive too fast with that, that very, uh, high frequency, uh, <laughs> hi-hat going on the background it's a little bit tempting to push the accelerator that much harder but uh, yeah just nice memories of uh, kind of whizzing down the motorway back and forth one way to see old school friends and one way to see new university friends and uh, yeah Okay, so the way we came to know each other, and um, not really know each other, but the, 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 came, you, the, the way you came in on my radar was through, as you mentioned, Barry Dempsey, our common uh, mutual friend. Yeah. And you did, like we were just finishing off a run, uh, our Mindful West run, uh, 240 kilometers from Greystones, where I live, to Galway. And Barry says, look, there's a friend of mine doing something similar, <laughs> but it's <a> much longer. <laughs> so tell us about... What did you do and, and why did you do it and all that? Tell us about the journey of this. I, I can't pronounce the name of uh, <laughs> So you tell us all about it. <laughs> Peter Pass. Um, okay, now I'll, I'll start at the beginning. So when I, uh, when I quit my job back in 2018, I kind of I wanted to do something. I wanted to go on a journey, do something for myself, raise some money for, for, for charity related to mental health. And I had the idea to cycle down from... Uh, from where I live in Delft, down to the southwest of Spain. Uh, a good friend of mine lives down there, just follow the coastline down there. I thought, that's okay, I can take a month on the bike, easy. Um, but I, I, I don't know, I didn't have the energy, didn't have the drive at the time, so that, uh, that didn't get any further than an idea. Um, and then, uh, obviously, you guys were running, and that was in September, I think, is that right? September, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just caught up with Barry for the first time in years, actually, that, uh, last year in February at a, at a, at a wedding in Austria with, a, with another old school friend of ours. So I started following him, um, uh, following him on Instagram, and I saw he was doing this run uh, or taking part in it. So I, think, I don't think he did the whole thing, but uh, I, think he, I think he got further than he thought he would, was going to in the numbers of kilometers. But, uh, <laughs> but I just saw, I, 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 I don't know, I was following you guys, and... Uh, you know, I was, I was waking up the three days you're running and just seeing uh, how they're getting on and watching a few videos. And, and it, was, it was really inspiring. I mean, I love running myself anyway. Um, I mean, just yeah, freedom, switch off. You know, it's great for the mental health as well and just getting out there. And also, especially if you do it with people, they just you have nice, relaxed conversations and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I just thought, oh, man, I, I really want to be there as well. I wish I was doing doing that. I thought, yeah, 240 kilometers in three days, I could do that. Yeah, I want to... I wish I was doing that. I was jealous, actually. I was, uh, and, and yeah, amazing journey you guys did. And I thought, well, I had, I had this idea um, about going for a bike ride. Maybe I could do a run. But of course, with the coronavirus restrictions, I don't want to, I can't really go and do that in, in another country. So um, 
what can I do? Um, at the same time, my parents-in-law were doing the uh, this well-known, famous hiking route, apparently. I'd never heard of it either, called the Peter Pad. And it's a hiking route from uh, the northeast of the Netherlands, just north of Groningen, um, all the way down to just south of Maastricht. Um, and a lot of it follows the German, the Dutch-German border. It weaves in and out uh, through, takes in as many of the, the sort of natural, beautiful areas uh, along the way as possible. Um, and so my parents and I were saying how, how great it was and how beautiful it was the whole time. And they were off, uh, they, they did it in just over a year, going away for weekends and taking the caravan and the bikes and going back and forth. Um, I thought, well, that sounds like a, like a good thing to do. Um, so why don't I try and do that? <laughs> and uh, yeah, then, then I thought, well, okay, when can I do it? Um, checked my wife's work schedule. When can I get away for long enough to run 500 kilometers? And the answer was in the middle of December um, because then her training uh, courses had all stopped. Um, so, okay, uh, but I want to be home by Christmas, of course. So that gives me, I think I had a maximum of 13 days or something like that. And I thought, well, if I do, uh, if I do 11 days, that's, it's roughly, it's 45 kilometers a day. It's, it's just over a marathon a day. Um, seems reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> but, uh, but then I realized as well, December, um, you know, it was, it was a nice kind of uh, symbol as well. Cause in the end I decided to, to do it for, for charity, for a, a mental health uh, organization, uh, Stifting Mind. Uh, they're also international, I guess you guys, I don't know if there's an Irish branch, but uh, mm. I know there's a UK branch. Um, they do a lot of work with, uh, with, uh, kind of lifting a taboo about mental depression, uh, sorry, mental health. So not just depression, but addiction and phobias and everything, the whole spectrum. Um, and they also do a lot of work with, uh, with youth trying to sort of, yeah, remove the taboo on the subject for the youth sort of, so that hopefully the, the generation after us will have a lot less hard time. Cause of course, the more you, the more you can talk about it, the easier it is. Um, so I, I uh, so I picked them as a, as a charity, and I thought, well, December, you know, symbolic of those horrible, short, dark days when you feel awful, when you can't get out of bed because you're, I don't know, at least the way the way I felt uh, in some December's past, you just don't, you know, don't really feel like doing anything. And I thought, well, okay, it's a good symbol as well. I could wait until spring, but no, I'm going to do it in the end December and, uh, and do that. Yeah. Um, and it was going to be a solo thing. It was going to be a solo adventure. I thought, well, we'll see what happens. Maybe someone will come and join in at some point. Um, uh, and I sent an email out to a bunch of uh, bunch of guys I used to work with, um, running club. Um, and most of them, they go off and do these 120-kilometer trail runs through the Alps uh, every year. Uh, of course, those have been cancelled this year. So I, I wrote to them with sort of asking for advice about what to pack, what, what, what would they take if they were doing it? And they didn't respond with that advice. They responded saying, oh, can we come? <laughs> can, we, can we do one or two days or whatever? And one guy said, oh, I'm going to come do the first four days with you, and, um, uh, which was amazing, completely unexpected. Great. Um, yeah. So, uh, Had you ever done... Uh had you ever done like more than one marathon a day? Have you ever done a marathon before? No, I mean, the, I, I've done a couple of marathons sort of in, in official, uh, my own marathons just yeah. to see if I could a couple of times. And I did um, in 2019, I did a trail run in the Ardennes in Belgium called the Crête de Spa, 55 kilometers uh, with a bunch of hills. Um, uh, and I figured, yeah, the Netherlands is flat, you know. There was 55 kilometers with, with nearly two kilometers vertical uh, in the Ardennes. And this is, you know, 45 kilometers a day with maybe 20 meters vertical or, or 100 meters anyway, vertical <laughs> spread out over all day. So I, I kind of thought, no, that's, uh, you know, that'll be fine. Yeah. So I started training in earnest on the 1st of October. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I fit any, I, I run, I run a lot yeah, anyway. Yeah. So yeah. you know, my base level was there. So I, I just upped it a little bit. I was running four times a week, doing two long runs and two short runs, always two days in a row. Um, and uh, yeah, I think then in, uh, in was it November or was it October? I don't know by then. I think the end of October I started. Um, I did 11 days in a row just to see what that would feel like. And then somewhere between one and two and a half hours each day. 
Um, and that was fine. You know, everything went fine. Training, perfect. Legs were fine. Energy was fine. You know, a bit tired, but um, it was okay. Yeah. Um, the, the hardest part was actually the organization, the bed and breakfast, the hotels, which you'd have thought they'd be, they'd be chomping at the, at the bit to, uh, to have guests with the whole coronavirus situation. Um, but it was, it was a pain in the ass trying to get people to commit to letting me stay. And yeah, but I did get, uh, you know, I got it sorted and I got, a, I got a lot of offers of free bed and breakfast, uh, discounts, you know, um, some places I got a free meal or, uh, you know, nice. like a lady who gave me a massage and cooked for me. And uh, so uh, that was pretty amazing, the, the support there. Um, but in the end, I was just couldn't wait to start. The last week, I just didn't sleep because I was just worried about the organization. I just wanted to get going. And just, you know, as soon as you take that first step, you can just forget about it. The, all the worry falls away because you just, all you have to do is put one foot in front of the, uh, the other and, uh, and that's it. Um, the only thing was the guy who was going to run the first four days with me, he injured himself two weeks before. <laughs> so, uh, so he's, uh, he had to drop out. Uh, but then the guy who was going to do days five and six, or no, days six and seven, he, he thought, I'll come do the first. Uh, what did he do with me in the end? First three with me, I think. Did he do three? Yeah, the first three with me in the end. So did you always have somebody with you through the... What was in the end? Tell me, the, the final thing was 11 days, 550 kilometers or something? Yeah. The, the plan was 500 kilometers, uh, 11 days. Yeah, that's right. 11 consecutive days. That's right, yeah. And uh, did you uh, always have somebody with you for the different people? Yeah, um, well, the, I would have had, uh, barring, uh, let's see, barring one day, I would have had someone with me for, for some or all of, uh, of each, each stage. But but tell me something because I did a whole I did a three part documentaries of a documentary of our run because yeah. uh, the emotions and the the things that go through your head when you're spending so much time whether on your own or with somebody else it doesn't matter you're you're in that space for so long on your feet and you start to feel every bit of your body yeah. and tell me a bit about your what were you expecting. And, and what, what happened through those days? Because it, 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 there's quite a lot going on. Like 11 days is a long time on your feet. And yeah. give, give us an idea of, uh, of a gist of what, what was it about? What, what, what went thrown through your head and what, what you expected it to be and what it actually turned out to be? Well, what I expected what it turned out to be were two very, very different things. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. Um, no, I, I mean, I've had a lot of I've had various injuries uh, throughout the years. Um, so I expected, you know, I expected my, my hip to start hurting or an old twisted ankle to start hurting, you know, and, and those are pains that I, that, that I know that I recognize. So I thought, well, it's going to hurt, but I know what it feels like and I know what I can do to make it better. And I, uh, I kind of had, had confidence that because it was an expected pain, it will be okay. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to have heavy legs. Um, but I don't know. I was, I was confident. I felt, I felt good. Um, yeah. And I started off with, with my friend Laurent, um, uh, ex-colleague, French guy. Um, and he's, uh, he's one of these ultra trail runners. Um, um, and we did the first day and the first day is basically flat, not very interesting. And we just chatted. We had a great time. We, we got 30 kilometers into, we got to Honingen after, after 30 kilometers. Um, it, was, I mean, it was cold, we had wind against, but you keep running. So instead of having breaks like sensible people and putting extra layers on to rest, we thought, now it's cold. We're just going to keep running. So we got to Honingen in like three and a half hours or something stupid. Um, uh, we found some hot pea soup. Great time. I walked through Honingen with a, with a hot chocolate and a coffee as well, warming up. Um, and then we tried to start running again afterwards. And that was uh, just stiff. Like old man, like 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 you might picture like a ninety year old getting out of his uh, his, uh, his easy chair after sitting in there for an evening. Um, uh, so uh, when we finished walking, we, we we kind of thought, oh yeah, we better save some energy for the next day. But that, that first day was it was it was fine, you know, it was it was fun. Um, we just chatted. It was cold. The scenery wasn't very interesting, but we we just passed the time and it was okay. It was uh, it was easy, let's say. Um, and then a nice bed and breakfast at the end of it, very comfortable. We got a takeaway meal, which wasn't the best, but uh, you know it served the purpose. And a very nice breakfast the next day. Mm. And the second day, another uh, colleague joined us. So we ran uh, three of us on on the second day, and there we had some nice um, 
nice scenery, some some woodland, some uh, um, just a lot of sand. Oh yeah, we went through a massive dune area. That was uh, that was heavy, um, but that was that was not, that was relaxing. It was just just conversations. And towards the end of the day, I started to get a sore foot, and I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting pain right there, and. I guess because that was a pain I wasn't expecting, I started to worry about it then. So then I kind of think, was thinking, oh man, what a, what well, day two and I've got a, I've got a pain in an unexpected place. What I, am I going to be able to finish? I started worrying already. Oh no, no. Uh, it's all going to go downhill. It's going to be awful. And uh, yeah. So um, that night was, was, I didn't sleep well. I was worried. Um, uh, yeah tense and then the next day i got up and uh and we, we decided right we're gonna we're gonna alternate running walking a lot more um to basically to give my foot a chance to recover and that was fine the foot started getting better it was fine uh, no problem um then i started to get this little niggle in, in my ankle at the front of my ankles and i thought no nah, well, it's okay that's just stiff because now we're doing fast walking and jogging and fast walking and i'm not used to fast walking but it's it's okay it'll be it'll be okay tomorrow so then Laurent went home and uh, about an hour later, uh, another ex-colleague, uh, uh, Irish guy, well, half Irish, half French, Gerard O'Shea joined us, um, uh, joined me actually, because uh, the other two really weren't there anymore. Um, and uh, that was the, that was the last night before the, the hotels had to stop serving foods to, to their guests, uh, coronavirus restriction. Oh. So we had a we actually had a sit down meal in the in the hotel, um, just you know a couple of beers, nice chat, and uh, you know I felt okay then. I was like, okay, I'll be okay, my ankles will be fine, no problem. But then on the, yeah, on the fifth day, I was joined by different friends just for the half half a day, and it was fine actually. It was we're going. It was the first really properly hilly section, some steep ups and downs on on sand and whatever. And uh, the the change of uh, underground like uh, foot strike because from going up and down hills completely different of course to just plodding along on the flat. I was okay, um, but about an hour after he turned around and went back home, I, uh, it was a flat section. I was like, I, this hurts too much. I can't. Uh, uh, yeah, my, my ankles at that point were twice the normal size. And, uh, you know, about half an hour after that, I was basically nearly crying with every step because every single step uh, hurt. Uh, and I was thinking, man, I can't bear this. this I, if I keep going on, I'm going to damage myself. Um, so I phoned my wife and said, look, I'm, uh, I've, got to, I've got to give up. This is, this is uh, I can't, I've, got to, I've just got to come home. Um, disappointed and feeling like uh, letting myself down or let everyone else down or let the charity down and uh, like negative foot spiral. And my wife was like, no, what you're going to do is, so she's looked at my location on Google Maps. She's like, ah, you're, um, you're, you're uh, whatever, a kilometer away from a bus stop. So what you're going to do is you're going to get, get the bus and you're going to get the bus to the train station. And at the train station, you're going to rent a bike. So Dutch train stations, most stations you can rent a bike. Uh, and you're going to finish the stage on the bike. And she said, I'm going to bring you, uh, the, the schools were closed uh, that, that day for the first day, again, coronavirus restrictions, and uh, the boys didn't have any schoolwork. So she said, I'm going to put the boys in the car, I'm going to put your bike on the back of the car, I'm going to bring you a bike, and you're going to finish, finish by bike. So that's what she did. And I felt, I felt awful about it. And it was amazing to see her and the boys got a big hug at night. So I was feeling pretty, uh, pretty low. Yeah, that was definitely the lowest point. <laughs> um, so she turned up with ice packs and painkillers and uh, beer and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you got it done. You got it done in the end. You got it done with you know, yeah. weeks, which is you know, it's just a phenomenal feat. I mean, five hundred kilometers. It's it, it, it's a phenomenal feat at any stage. And with or without a bike, it's amazing. Yeah, no. In the end, it was so in the end, it was 200, 200 on foot and about three hundred and sixty on the bike because uh, it doesn't follow the same path. But uh, in the end, the bike turned out to be great because I could enjoy the scenery. I didn't have to worry about timing and about injuries or about eating something not too heavy. So the bike was was beautiful. That's in the brilliant. end, I actually managed to appreciate it. So brilliant. Let me ask you about um, 
imagined by the Chris Cornell version? Yeah, um, I play guitar myself. Um, well, and drums actually. I play I play guitar uh, badly, uh, <laughs> but uh, but I enjoy I enjoy doing covers of stuff. And recently, I've um, I, Chris Cornell. He's he's covered a lot of other tunes. And recently I've found a lot of other artists who cover songs and I like, I kind of got into covering the covers. Um, uh, I just, I just think, uh, especially Chris Cornell's covers, the, the guy's amazing voice, and his musicality. It's just, uh, it's just a great cover. So I like playing it. <laughs> Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy. If you try No hell below us Above us Only sky Imagine all the people Living for the so in terms of that run, anyway, you ended up raising the um, you had the target of ten thousand. I think you raised eight and a half or, or thereabouts um, so far, and uh, and it's amazing. Look, any any time you get out of bed and you do something for for charity or anything, and it, it feels like that, it's just phenomenal. So well done, and you can come and join us this year when we do the the Mindful West run. We do another two hundred kilometers this time, uh, going northwest. So you're welcome to join us in, in yeah. Ireland. But, coronavirus restrictions aside, I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully we will. If not, we'll do something virtual. We, we'll have you running with us. Uh, you run there, we run here or something. But one thing I'm interested in, that like you picked that particular charity in mind, and uh, you did say at the beginning the, the importance of, um, of talking about uh, mental health and giving the tools yeah. to the young people. Like I worked with a charity called The Loss for Life, which we fundraised yeah. for, for the run, and this is actually the same idea. But what, what's it like there in terms of um, access to services and, uh, you know, in the schools? What, what, in Holland, I mean, like, what, what, what is it like? What do you think? Is, is, it, um, is it fairly well accessible, the system and the, the support? Um, it is, yeah. There's a lot on offer. Um, it does tend to be easier to, to talk about it compared to, for example, in the UK. Um, just my my experience of how, how I see it, and um, uh, the the one downside is here um, you work with private healthcare insurance, um, and every year they they chop and change what's included in the various packages and what have you. And they they recently they've they've been really cutting down on what they call alternative medicine. So I was talking about this breath work stuff like that, and anything which isn't um, let's say uh, like a medically proven in, in a traditional sense, you know, like uh, so antidepressants or um or cognitive behavioral therapy something like that that's like a, a kind of black and white this works um that that's fine but all the other stuff um you know anything involving this is kind of more body work feeling rather than thinking that that tends to fall under alternative medicine and a lot of the uh, insurers aren't covering that anymore and i don't know i don't know why because actually there's more awareness of how how it can help, as far as I can tell, um, uh, in, in in the in the public eye. So um, maybe that's the reason. Actually, maybe they they were giving too much money out on the, on, on people seeking these treatments. Um, um, so that that's that's a shame. But but the, the it, there's plenty on offer. Um, there's there's so there's such a wide spectrum of things to to try out and see what works for you. And and uh, yeah. And, and that's what it's about in the end. It's uh, whatever works at a, at a particular moment for a particular person. Um, so yeah, the Netherlands. That's uh, that, yeah, they've got that sorted. And in terms of, um, and that's why I love these conversations because, as I say, you know, I, I always find, and I would say, you know, vulnerability is freedom. The moment you talk about something, you know, you're talking about, it and it's it's there for for anybody to to listen to, not to judge, but to appreciate and understand, but. Like in Ireland, uh, I think we're getting better, but especially as men, we're not very good at we, We're very good at talking a lot of nothing. And especially yeah. if we're sitting in the pub, we, we, we can pretend to talk about important things. But 
we're not really that good yet. Um, what's it like there when you sit around with your mates? And, and I'm assuming like you have a, a mix of um, it's still fairly international group you're hanging out with. But what's it like? Yeah, a lot of that as well. Um, it's yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 the let's say the most natural condition to be in when you're sitting in such a group is is the kind of sort of stiff upper lip and kind of glossing over the details and yeah you can say that you're having a rough time but you don't really want to talk about it in too much detail in case other people are uncomfortable or, or um so that's kind of the that's that's more like the the base level um but what i actually noticed since doing this run and i, I was posting on instagram and facebook twice a day and um uh, i was getting a lot of feedback from people i'd never met before um who who sending their stories or, or comments or whatever, but also people in my own circle who had never said anything to me in the past about uh, how they were feeling, or, I mean, I've been a little bit open about it in, in uh, relatively compared to how I could have been. Um, so in general, the people in my own circle knew a little bit about what was going on with me, uh, not a huge amount, but, but the interesting thing is that you then get the stories back, which I never even guessed, never heard about. Um, uh, so that's been that's been pretty amazing, actually, since then, that I can actually talk to people on a more open and honest level, uh, both ways. I'm not just sitting there doing a monologue and talking about myself, but I can, uh, I can listen as well, which is great. Well, that's wonderful because, I mean, with, with that one thing, uh, you know, you're becoming the agent of, the agent of change, you know, within your yeah. own group. And that's, that, but that is important. It's extremely important. That's why we did. That's why we, we did the run, especially for that. We really wanted to talk about mental health. And we thought the best way was to get as many people as possible to run together and see what happens, you know. And you, but, the, you know, the preparation, um, just the, the build-up to it, everything, everything about it, uh, it just created a conversation around because we all did it for different reasons and we all did the run for different reasons. And then those reasons start to come out. And then as you just just described as, you know, kilometer 40 on day five or whatever it is, it's just, your brain is going everywhere. And, and what are you saying to the guy beside you or the person beside you? It's, it's real. There's no nonsense. It's just coming out the way it needs to come out, you know, and that's, that's, that's beautiful. You know, that's the, the, the great thing about those epic runs or such or whatever. That yeah. Is. Yeah. The, the filters off basically is, is, is what it's about. Yeah. That's brilliant. So, um, tell me first about the, the book you pick, right? But you, you mentioned misery by Stephen King. And now you're telling me all about this, um, these ankles, all I can think of is the scene when <laughs> in the movie, when, when uh, the ankles come off. <laughs> no, I found this one a hard one to try to, try to think of a book or, or a film, which inspired me. Cause I, I don't know. I, I, in general, I find that a hard question. Um, uh, what has inspired you? Um, yeah, I don't know, but um, Stephen King. I think I picked up my first Stephen King as a, as a, I think as a young teenager or something like that. And it's uh, I, I read basically everything he's written. Um, uh, it, so it's, it's been kind of a great escape over the years when I've been needed to retreat into my shell or, or hide from from the outside world. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, films, video games, whatever, everything, you know. It all serves a purpose, but uh, I've, I've spent hours and hours of my life reading Stephen King as a as a yeah, as an escape. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy it as such to read it, but uh, but it's yeah, the, the, your, your your fantasy can go wild. You know, you're sitting watching a film; someone else has, has done the fantasy for you. You're just you're just watching it, and with the book, you got the words and you create the picture, and uh, yeah, it's, it's an escape, and uh, and and it's I think. Of all the escapes, I've mentioned films and video games. I think it's probably probably the healthiest one. <laughs> the way I see it, uh, yeah, that's great. So, listen, just to to finish it off. Um, obviously, you have this nice project coming along there, doing your own uh, campsite, which sounds sounds exciting, sounds you know great. Uh, change of lifestyle and everything, and new new projects, brilliant. And in terms of from what you've learned. Uh, through this run in particular, you just mentioned the way the people opened up to you and you're now in a position you're actually listening to people. You know, there's a nice exchange just creating different people. What else do you have planned for next year or everything or this year, whatever? Anything else you can think of that you can bring you, carry on on that journey that you started with the Peter Pat? Or if that's yeah. Um, 
Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not finished with the Peter Pad yet because uh, <laughs> since I had to cycle a load of it, the, the bike path missed out a load of really pretty areas. Uh, um, you couldn't, couldn't take your bike over the, over the footpath through the trees and the sand and whatever. So, um, I mean, my ankle. I've, I've got a severe case of tendonitis. I'm still having trouble walking. I can't run yet. But this year, I'm going to go and do. Uh, there's probably four or five bits of uh, the Netherlands which spring to mind, which I had to skip. Or, or go through, it, not on the on the most scenic route uh, because I was on the bike. Um, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to do those. I'm not going to do 50 kilometers a day for several days in a row, but I'm just going to take a couple of weekends and go and do the nice bits. And I'm going to obviously stick that on uh, on my Instagram again and tag the charity. I've left my donation page open um, just to kind of keep the conversation open that way. Uh, uh, every now and then, a little a little reminder. Um, to anyone who's watching uh, or listening or reading um, just to, you know, stay, just keep talking basically. Just a yeah, little booster yeah. <laughs> as it were. Um, so that, that's, that's as far as I've got for this year. I'm, uh, you know, f- first recovery and then, uh, yeah. But that sounds fantastic. I mean, that's the premises of this podcast. This is actually that, you know, um, mending the fabric of society one conversation at a time that's all we can do just keep talking to one another and just keep it out there and you know it's 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 just amazing that what can inspire a lot of 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 anything if we can run with a bunch of mates could be the healthiest thing anybody could do this week you know this this month exactly. or next month or whatever it may be you know um, yeah. that's absolutely fantastic Phil listen uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and we will keep you posted with our run. And if restrictions go and if the stars align, we'd love to see you here in Ireland. And if uh, if not, we'll figure out a way to do it virtually. You run somewhere, we run somewhere, and we look up every evening for a for a virtual pint or something like that. Yeah, Zoom beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom beer is over the corner. <laughs> I eye on your, your guys as well, because obviously you're, you're posting stuff, uh, Mindful, Mindful West uh, Instagram anyway. Uh, yeah, and our plan is to make it a, a yearly thing. So this year is another uh, canal, 200-kilometer canal. Okay. And um, we'll see what happens next year. But I'm fortunate at the moment we'd have to wait for the, the restrictions to be lifted so we don't know what's going to happen. Could be could be September before we get around to do it. But yeah. we'll keep training until then. Exactly, exactly. Well, Phil, stay well. And thanks a million again. Really appreciated your time and telling us your story. It was fantastic to talk to you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Andre. Take it easy. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Phil. If you did, please leave a review on Apple Podcast. Subscribe and share. It would really help. Thank you. But if I meet you somewhere Far down the line The sun still shines in your hair Kiss you once and I'll say goodbye Yeah, if I meet you someplace far down the line The sun still shines in your face I'll kiss you once, then I'll say goodnight Then I'll say goodnight